So we, we, we started this theme last week with uh, Neil teaching us the first bit of this section in Luke chapter 1, talking about how the angel Gabriel came and told this young girl, this virgin who was probably in her late teens, from a kind of a nondescript town, that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, to God's chosen king, the one that Israel had been waiting to come. And she asked the, the angel point blankly, uh, how can this be? I don't know a man. She was engaged, but in that culture, in that day, engagement was, there was a, a strict legal binding, but there was no physical coming together. They would, they would get to know each other among chaperones, but they were kept separate. And so she's thinking, okay, I understand biology enough to know that unless there's a man involved, I ain't getting pregnant. At least that's what she thought. But as we saw last week, just as God had predicted, had prophesied, or spoken through the prophets, through Isaiah, through Zechariah, and others, that God was indeed going to do this, that when the Messiah came, He would come through a supernatural birth. And that this birth would be a sign that indeed, this was indeed God's chosen King. This was the Messiah, the one who would come and bring forth all the promises that God had made to Israel, the promises that are meant to have an impact, not just on the nation of Israel, but on all the nations through Israel. And so where we pick it up this week, in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39, is when Mary's heard this promise, because what the angel had said to her was, okay, here's, here's how it's going to happen. God, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, and you're going to have in you the very Son of God. And when, when he tells her that this is what's going to happen, God's going to do this, he says, here's a sign to confirm it. Your relative Elizabeth, who, unlike you, Mary, a young girl, uh, Mary is, or Elizabeth is, beyond the age of childbirth. Probably post-menopausal. And yet she's going, to, she is now, right now, with child. It's a miracle that people don't even know about. And that's going to be a sign to you that what I've said to you is indeed true. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 39. Now, before I read verse 39, I want to read to you the first few verses of the Gospel of Luke so that we know why Luke wrote this version, why Luke wrote this Gospel. Here's what he says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. <laughs> Luke wrote, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events which have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the very early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now the reason this is important is because as we continue to unpack the story, of, of how Mary responded to this promise that she would give birth to God's chosen king. That we need to know that Luke is writing this stuff based on eyewitness accounts. Luke is a historian of the highest pedigree. He's not talking about myths or stories meant to teach us a lesson. He's saying this is what happened. So he, maybe even above the other gospel writers, wants us to see that, that what the Christmas story is about, what the reality of Christmas is, is that the Creator God pierced history. And that that God can be trusted. And so we pick it up in verse 39, and we're going to see three things that kind of help us to see why Mary 
is not someone we should put our faith in, but someone who's a great example of a woman who had faith. And the first thing is this. We see that Mary gets to see that Jesus is, was, was identified, or his identity was confirmed from the womb. So, verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days after she heard this promise from, from the angel Gabriel, and she went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And this is her relative who's with child, the older postmenopausal woman. So she, what she's doing is, she knows there's this promise from Gabriel. She, she thinks, okay, I want this promise confirmed. I want to see what God's going to do. She's expecting God to do something. And so she goes, and what happens is, she, she greets Elizabeth. She walks into the door, and it says it happened, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke, spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why has this been granted to me, that the, notice, the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb. So, so here's what's happening. Mary wants this confirmation. Okay, is it true? Could my postmenopausal cousin or whoever she is, relative, could it be true that she's actually pre pregnant? She gets there, and as soon as she says, Hi, Elizabeth, what happens? Boom, the baby in the womb does backflips, and, and, and she's full of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth's full of the Holy Spirit. And, and you've got to know this, too. When the Bible says that she's, uh, someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's usually an indication they're about to speak for God. And so they're full of the Holy Spirit, and she says, what is going on? You are the one who's pregnant with my Lord. And, and I can just picture the scene, these two radical different generations of ladies. This, this, this young girl who's scared to death about what's happening to her, but excited that God's given her a promise that she wants to believe. And this older woman... Who never thought she'd have children. And, and you know, as, as painful as that is, and, and, I, and I want to be sensitive because I know how painful barrenness can be. But as painful as that was, it is in our culture for any woman. This was an, 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 a situation of social shame in that, in that day. And so you can imagine, here she's, these two women completely excited. Look what God's done for us. Look what God's doing. And so what happens? She gives this word, and she's recognizing by the Holy Spirit who, who Jesus in the womb actually is. Interesting, too, that one of the first people to recognize Jesus as God's chosen king was in the womb. It says in verse 45 that what Elizabeth says to Mary is this, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And so it's really important that we see that Jesus' identity was confirmed from the womb. This is what's stirring on Mary's faith. That she knows who the Messiah is. It's the very babe in her womb. And it's also important for us because what God calls us to is not just a faith in something ambiguous. The scriptures don't call us to a faith that is generic or just about good things. Or just four good things. The scriptures calls to a faith in a personal God. A God who predicted how he would pierce history and then did pierce history. 
Now, there's a good, good reason to believe at this point Mary didn't fully understand all this. That she understood that the promises that were made in the Old Testament uh, concerning the Messiah were somehow now going to be fulfilled through her. But she probably didn't understand the deity of Christ to the, to, to the point that we would understand now. But still, she's trusting that what God has said about the Messiah is going to come to pass in this child who she's going to give birth to. The first point of her faith was the identity of the Messiah, Messiah, knowing who he was. She's trusting what God says. Now then we see in verse 50 that she begins to sing this, what's called, in a lot of the versions, a song of Mary. Traditionally it's called the Magnificent, which is basically from the first Latin word in the Latin text of the Bible. And she begins really just to sing the song of praise. And Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now I love this because here we see Mary's not just going, Wow, I think this is true, and kind of keeping this faith to herself. She's believing that she's carrying the Messiah, and so how does she deal with that? How does she respond to that? She expresses it in worship. She responds in worship. How long do you need to be a Christian before you worship? How long do you need to believe in Jesus before you worship? Apparently, just a matter of minutes or days. (laughs) Not very long. It's an instantaneous thing. And she's rejoicing because of the work that God's doing. It's interesting the way she says this. She says, "My, my soul magnifies the Lord. The idea is, I want to make much about God. God's doing something here. God's done something here. She calls God her Savior. Now, in this context, she's probably referring to the fact that God's going to deliver her and her people, Israel, from the bondage of the Romans. That's at least the first application. But still, she understands that she needs God to save her. The the, the difficulties she finds herself in. The suffering that her and her people are experiencing. the, The lack that is in her own life. And falling short of God's standard for his people. She knows God is the one who has to deliver her from that. Has to save her from that. And so she finds this as a reason to rejoice. Because she doesn't just believe that God can, but that God will. That now that the Messiah is going to be birthed through her, God's going to bring this deliverance, this salvation. So she continues in verse 48. For he, who has, re- he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. I love this because she knows that this is going to impact not just uh, her, her immediate future, but generation upon generation upon generation. Mary's beginning to see God's doing something that's going to change the world forever. Now again, did she understand the fullness that we would understand now, this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus? No. But she understood enough that God had promised that when the Messiah comes, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Every nation of the world will be blessed. And now that the Messiah is is in her womb, it's going to come to plan. It's going to come to pass. See, she knew that God's plan was her hope for the future. And she says this in verse 49, For he who is mighty, as we sang today, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Do you recognize what she's doing there? She is celebrating and worshiping God for his character. See, that's what the the scripture means when it refers to the name of God. It doesn't mean like we would say Bob or Joe or even Yahweh or even Jesus in that sense. It's not just the name by which we're called. It's the character What the name represents. 
It's the character of that name. It's the reality that that she sees, man, the God who's revealed himself to be good, the God who's revealed himself to be powerful, is proving that in his sending of the Messiah. See, Mary is trusting that God is both all-powerful and all-good. Now, I want you not to, to miss the circumstances in which she's believing this. Because during this time when Mary is, is believing that God is doing this, that God's fulfilling His promise and sending His chosen king, that she carries that chosen king in her womb, and believing this, it's happening at a time when, again, Israel is under great oppression. They're not free. They're under the, 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 the tyranny of the Roman Empire. They have a pseudo-peace that means that maybe they can worship in their temple and they can do their religious things, but to actually see the promises of God come to pass, it's just not happening. And there were many people in her day who thought, okay, the only way God's promises were going to come to pass is if God's people take up arms, if we force the issue, if we bring about God's kingdom by military might, that's the only way justice will come. A lot of people believe that. They were called zealots. One of the apostles that Jesus chose was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. He was this military guy who would think we would have to bring in God's kingdom this way. And Jesus says, no, no, you come follow me. Another, another attitude that was happening, people were thinking, okay, this is the best it's going to get. This is the closest to God's kingdom we're going to get. So let's just be happy we have a temple. Let's be as religious as we can be, as committed as we can be religiously, and leave it at that. And so they were always trying to cooperate with the Romans. Let's kind of make sure that we don't ever upset them. Let's try to appease them as much as we can. But still others, like this humble woman Mary, were thinking, no, God's made promises that, that through Israel, He's going to bless the whole world. So how can Israel be oppressed and be a blessing at the same time? And it's now becoming, coming to pass that God's going to prove Himself both to be good and able to bring those promises to pass through the birth of the Messiah in her. So this is what she's believing She's expressing her faith in worship of a God who's the object of her confidence. God is trustworthy. She continues her song, verse 50, and says, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. That's interesting because really in the song here, she begins to kind of shift in her singing from God's done great things to me, for me that God's doing great things for all his people. And I love this, that she, in thinking of God's character here, she wants to bring up this issue of mercy. Now this is specifically important with the coming of the Messiah. You see, because the scripture teaches us that Jesus is our assurance that God indeed is merciful. Now we don't think about the mercy of God too much. We talk about the love of God. Uh, we might talk about the power of God. We might get frustrated and think if God is a God of justice, how come things aren't better than they are? But we often don't think about the mercy of God. And one of the reasons we don't think about the mercy of God is that we don't think of ourselves as people desperate for mercy. But we actually are people who are desperate for mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is like when I was uh, 17 years old and I borrowed my brother's custom Volkswagen Bug that had been souped up like a hot rod and lowered to the ground and custom paint job. And I borrowed it to, of course, what all young men do, tried to impress a girl. And I blew up the engine. 
And mercy, mercy is he didn't kill me. That's mercy. I seriously thought he was going to beat me down. He'd done it before for lesser reasons. I thought, I'm dead. But he didn't. He showed mercy. And our God, listen, the God who made us, the God who's given us every good and perfect gift, that God who we ignore or who we try to reshape in our, our own image, that God continues to he- reach out his hand in mercy. That God continues to offer to us forgiveness, pardon, relationship through Jesus Christ. Now again, does this mean Mary knew all this stuff at this point? No, but she did know that God is merciful and he shows mercy to those who fear him. Don't see that as just trembling in your, uh, on your boots like you're afraid of, of judgment. It, 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 that's in there, but it's more than that. It's a sense of what God says about things is more important than anything else. And God wants to show mercy to those who know they need mercy. Listen to this. The scripture says this. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He said, Jesus saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus does. He assures us of the mercy of God and gives us new life through that mercy. Mary goes on to praise God in verse 51 saying, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Now you need to know all this is a very poetic way to say that what's happened with God and what the coming of the Messiah proves is that God takes those who oppressed And he sets them down. He takes those who have been oppressed and he lifts them up. In other words, God takes all the injustices of the world and he turns them on his head. This is what Jesus brings. See, this is important because what we see in Jesus again is Jesus is our hope for God's justice. We want justice on this earth, don't we? We We're sick of seeing so much injustice. We wish... We vainly hope that somehow politically we can bring justice. I don't know if any of you guys did this before you voted. And I don't really care who you voted for. But I, didn't get, I couldn't vote. But what I did this, this time, because I'm soon to be a citizen, is I did a little bit of investigation and I took a survey that was supposed to help you see which party you line up with. You guys know what survey I'm talking about? Anybody take a survey like that? And I took this survey, and here's the thing. They basically, they, they have like five parties, and they, they tell you to pick like ten issues you think are important. And then they, they put those parties, without saying who the parties are, they say, here's what they say about each issue. And there wasn't, so basically you would have like five groups of like four statements about a single issue. You following me? And there wasn't a single time, not one single time, where I agreed with every statement. Not one. Of the ten issues that I put in, there wasn't a single time I thought, none of these bozos know what they're doing. No offense. Because the truth is, none of us bozos know what we're doing. We know we need good leadership for justice, but we've never seen it except in Jesus. 
And so we see that here's Mary. She's going, God's going to do this. The God of all justice is going to bring justice. And that justice is going to come through the Messiah. Now here's what's interesting. We have to think justice is not just about stopping the bad. That's not just justice. Justice is about establishing the good. And there's this picture of justice that we have in the scriptures. It's at the cross. Because at the cross of Jesus, that's not just Jesus being treated unjustly. That is God satisfying his own justice for sin. So that God is stopping the power of sin by judging sin on the cross. Listen, and God is establishing the way that justice will finally be brought into this earth. It will be through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which qualifies us for the resurrection. Now, here's an interesting picture of this. When Jesus is on the cross, Luke talks about this later on in Luke 23. When Luke's on the cross, you guys know the story of the thief on the cross, right? You've heard the story, many of you. Two criminals, one on either side of the cross. One criminal says, you know, is, is slandering Jesus the way the people and soldiers down there are slandering him. The other criminal protests. Listen to this. The other, other criminal protested, Do you not fear God even when he has been sentenced to death? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done not, has, hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I surely today you will be with me in paradise. The reason I want to bring that picture to your mind is because this is where justice happens. Where God absorbs all of our injustices. Done against him and against one another at the cross. This is why Jesus came. But also, with that comes Jesus having the ability, the authority to say, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Because three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. See, Mary is singing about the fact that he, she knows Messiah is going to bring justice. And I have this privilege of being the one who births Messiah. Me, Mary, who comes from an obscure village, who comes from a poor family, who is of no reputation. Me, this, this person who's, who's been oppressed, whose life could be threatened because people are going to think she got pregnant out of wedlock. Through me, he's going to birth this child who will bring complete justice. And she celebrates how much more us who have seen the cross, who have seen the resurrection, who have seen the world turned upside down through the truth of who Jesus is. How much more should we go, yes, justice is on its way. <laughs> this is why Mary finishes her song with these verses in verse 54 and 55 where she says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to Neil's message. Because he did a great job, he did a really great job of kind of showing how the whole theme of the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus. And you may not know this, but this is what Jesus actually said himself. Jesus said to the religious people of his day, who were the, those group of people who said, well, this is probably as good as we're going to get, so let's just be as religious as we can be. Jesus said to those people, he said, listen, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but they testify of me. 
and yet you won't believe in me. You see, what the, what the gospel presents, what the scriptures present in Jesus is not just a great teacher, not just a prophet, but, but the scriptures present in Jesus God who became one of us that he might save all of us. The scriptures show us in Jesus a God whose identity was confirmed from the womb and proven through his resurrection. The scriptures present a Jesus who's not just worthy to be followed or learned from, but to be worshipped. The scriptures present a Jesus who is the whole point of all the scripture. It's always about him. See, Mary's trusting that Jesus was the guarantee of all of God's promises. The fulfillment and guarantee of all God's promises. Now some of you guys might be here today, some of you might be here today, and you may have what I would respectfully call a generic faith. You know there's a God. You know he's got to be real. There's some sort of a God. You know there's got to be hope in him. We can't sort ourselves out. He's got to sort ourselves out. And you have kind of a generic faith. And I want to say to you respectfully that Jesus says that's not enough. The scripture says that's not enough. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus and who didn't believe in him until after his resurrection, came to believe him and James eventually said, you believe in God? Good job. Even demons believe. Not good enough. You see, Jesus makes it really clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The Christmas story does not allow us any room to have a generic faith. The scripture doesn't leave us that room. The truth of Jesus, of God piercing history says, I have to choose what I'm going to do with him. Now I say this out of hope. Because Jesus also said, whoever comes to me I will in no way cast out. There's never been anyone who's come to Jesus and says, Lord, I want to follow you. He just said, nope, sorry, go away. It's never happened. God in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy, in his faithfulness, will accept anyone who will come to him through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. We're going to sing a couple more songs. Or is it one song? Just one song, is it, Neil? Just one song. So the music team's going to make their way up. And as we sing this last song together, I want to challenge you. If you're in that place of having a generic faith, I want to challenge you to move from just believing in some God and putting your faith in His Son. Putting your faith in Jesus. 
I, I want to challenge you from being someone who maybe just professes, even someone who just professes kind of a generic faith in Jesus, to being someone who, who says, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to trust you with my life. God's already given you the best Christmas present. He's given you the very best He can give. He's given you Himself. Do you want Him? Do you want to put your faith in Him?